Hi, good morning. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs, and I'm delighted to be here today with our guest, CIO Kristen Darby of the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Now, if you can't stick around for this entire episode, because we'll be chatting for about an hour, we're going to, you can re-watch the episode on demand on CIO.com, or you can find the podcast, which we post afterwards on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. We'll also be watching for your questions online, so if you're uh, interested in joining the conversation, and I hope you will, please send your questions into hashtag CIOonlineLive. So let me, uh, before we get talking, let me introduce my guest. Uh, as I mentioned, Kristen is with Cancer Treatment Centers of America. From its headquarters in Boca Raton, Florida, the CTCA runs a national network of five hospitals in Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tulsa, and that they serve adult patients who are fighting cancer. The centers have been ranked as one of the most admired hospital systems in the country in national consumer surveys. Kristen joined CTCA in 2014 to serve as the CIO and the principal strategist for the organization's information solutions function. It's a role that encompasses all of the clinical and non-clinical technologies, including informatics, the web, and digital. As the CIO, she also works closely with the CTCA National Board of Directors, and she serves outside on three other boards as well. Under her leadership, CTCA won a 2017 CIO 100 Innovation Award for its work empowering the oncologists working at the hospitals to have easier, more comprehensive access to evidence-based information and personalized data about their patients. And before joining the CTCA nearly four years ago, Kristen was the regional CIO of the Tenet Healthcare business markets in both Boston and Chicago. Prior to that, she held IT leadership positions for the Risk Management Foundation of Harvard Medical Institutes and Fresenius Medical Care. Kristen, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Now, we're going to talk about the way that technology is having a profound impact on the connected care journey for patients. But before we dive into that, uh, take us back to your arrival at CTCA as the CIO almost four years ago. What was your initial mission? What were the marching orders from the board? The entire uh, dynamics around the healthcare industry were mm -hmm. uh, certainly beginning to change, and they've continued to change uh, since I arrived at CTCA. Yeah. One of the, the first mandates was um, to understand how CTCA, from a technology portfolio perspective and enablement perspective, needed to change mm -hmm. to be able to respond and better position CTCA within the, the market and also um, with capabilities to serve our patients uh, based on all of those external macro dynamics. In addition to that, um, internally, alignment was needed between the information technology function and the rest of uh, the organization, so mm -hmm. both on the clinical side and the business side. Uh, that alignment was not strong and um, really needed to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, um, they didn't provide a lot of specifics, um, but they wanted a leader that could understand those dynamics, um, come in and uh, take their own approach to assimilating to the organization, understanding what needed to be delivered, and then create a, um, uh, a strategy around how to 
develop and transform the information technology uh, function as a yeah. whole in a way that would um, really help propel Cancer Treatment Centers of America forward. Okay. Well, often the, uh, and I know we talked about this, often one of the first things CIOs take a look at is how they rationalize the portfolio of technology offerings. How did you approach that? Yes. Well, um, we uh, had made significant investments at Cancer Treatment Centers of America in technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a real positive coming in. And um, But the total cost of ownership with the changes in the healthcare dynamics and the economics around um, uh, more strain on reimbursement for healthcare providers, mm-hmm. it was clear that a lot of focus needed to be put on um, leveraging newer technologies um, that uh, uh, provide enhanced functionality, but also at a lower cost uh, uh, of ownership. Yes. In addition to that, um, it was necessary to really understand what was needed from the clinician perspective, because a Mm -hmm. lot of our application portfolio had been acquired over the last three to 10 years. Oh, sure. And with technology, we all know it changes rapidly. Mm -hmm. So as part of that application portfolio, um, when I joined the organization, I met with my team on the first day mm-hmm. and uh, did a town hall, got to know everyone, made sure they knew a lot about me, and then explained to them that they weren't actually going to see me again for the next three weeks. Uh, you were going to go on a road trip. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I felt, um, you know, with any IT uh, department or function mm-hmm. across any industry, there's always more demand and more work than mm-hmm. you can accommodate. Yes. And there's many reasons and challenges why IT may not be able to fulfill all those uh, uh, desires and expectations of an organization. Yeah. And so before I got too um, uh, into the details of that and understanding the challenges of CTCA, mm-hmm. I felt it was very important to understand how the organization worked, You know, what's the culture, yes. what's important for delivery, um, uh, with our patients, um, CTCA has a different um, uh, staffing ratio that allows for a much more intimate relationship with patients mm-hmm. than I had experienced in previous healthcare organizations. Okay. So I wanted to truly understand that and then understand how technology can better enhance that relationship, but also um, uh, enhance the overall treatment options uh, mm-hmm. that are available for patients. Well, th- there's often a perception gap but in the IT organization. Uh, they have a tendency to take on too much work because mm-hmm. they want to say yes to everybody on the business side. And then they also tend to think that, you know, they perceive themselves a certain way and think the business is all aligned with that perception. And we find in our surveys that a lot of times what, for instance, business executives may think is the most important thing for the tech organization to be doing, if you get a one to five list going, it's very different yes. uh, from one to five. So what were some of the things that you address that you felt needed to be changed? So I think the first thing was um, just spending time shadowing uh, clinicians, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the business users, et cetera, and understanding what their challenges are. So the first thing I wanted to do is first understand, is it process um, inefficiency perhaps? Mm -hmm. Is it actually a technology limitation? Because oftentimes IT issues are described Mm -hmm. that aren't actually technology issues or technology perhaps is being used inappropriately. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure I first understood what were the goals and objectives of each of these different primary stakeholder groups. Mm -hmm. And once I understood that, walk through the problems with them in their daily work. 
And yeah. it helped me or learn the organization at a very deep level. And so of the five hospitals, I spent a few days at each hospital. So I was able to understand, you know, where the what's the commonality of culture mm-hmm. um, across the organizations, workflow, process, where are their um, variations? How do those variations contribute to perhaps user dissatisfaction in the systems? Right. Um, so once all of that was was very understood, I was able to assimilate that information and bring that back to my team mm-hmm. at the end of the three weeks. And I communicated very, very clearly mm-hmm. um, what the perceptions were around the effectiveness of the information technology function, the effectiveness of our applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also shared with um, our vendor partners uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that um, if they were going to be a true partner, mm-hmm. they had to understand the value that CTCA uh, was actually getting from that product. And oh, if it wasn't maximized, mm-hmm. I expected them to sit at the table with us and help design the roadmap forward to mm-hmm. determine do we retain that investment and try to optimize it or do mm-hmm. we replace it? Well, I was thinking of all the constituencies that <clears throat> IT departments have. And a lot of times it's the various business units and it's the external customers. But healthcare seems even more complicated because it's the clinicians, it's the business executives that run the different parts of the healthcare system. It is, as you say, the vendor partners. Um, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Yep. In the patient mm. and the caregiver. That's right. That's yes. right. Yes. So um, instead of having maybe two constituencies, you have four or five of them. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I I will say that CTCA is unique in that um, we also have a a very large direct to consumer um, connection with Mm -hmm. our patients where they often opt out of the traditional um, uh, referral process of coming in. Uh, we certainly oh. have a strong referral network and many, mm-hmm. many physician partners throughout the U.S. But um, with the direct-to-consumer component, it's actually really um, uh, structured CTCA in a magnificent way around true patient-centric care, yeah. but also operations. And so with that, one of the things we always challenge ourselves is to always go back to what is the patient value? What mm-hmm. does the patient want? What's important to the caregiver going through their cancer journey? Mm-hmm. And then that tends to translate down to what's important to the physician because they're there to care for the patient. Right. Um, same thing with the business support functions that are there to support the clinical delivery. Mm-hmm. So um, we really try to structure our entire organization, but certainly this is something we talk about in the um, information services function frequently, mm-hmm. is you know, what are we doing for the patient? And if we keep that center to all of our designs and our discussions, it tends to usually help us with the focus that you described yeah. as to, you know, what should be on that list. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, um, uh, how do you actually design things? So the way mm-hmm. a physician might want to see it may not actually be the level of interaction that a patient um, or caregiver is truly desiring yeah. uh, throughout their care journey. Well, and I, in some of the information that I read about CTCA before we got together, I was surprised at the very high percentage of outpatient services you provide. Is yes. it? It's 85% of your population is outpatient, so they never spend a night at CTCA. Yes, it, so it's variable um, okay. uh, across our sites, but a very large portion um, uh, are seen in our hospital mm-hmm. uh, outpatient clinic. And uh, with that, you know, it's reflective of the fact that um, cancer is very much um, becoming a very manageable disease. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
it's shifting more and more to becoming a chronic illness. Um, uh-huh. And so as part of that, uh, it really positions cancer for um, care in an outpatient setting and an ambulatory setting. Mm-hmm. And so we try to keep our patients um, very healthy, strong quality of life, mm-hmm. um, and, and keep them engaged in their regular activities as much as possible, yeah. which includes them... Uh, returning home mm-hmm. or um, perhaps uh, uh, staying at a hotel, et cetera, versus right. being an inpatient. Yeah. And um, the more that we can focus on getting them there uh, to, to that outpatient healthy setting, the more engaged they typically are in their care mm-hmm. and progress um, uh, in a more positive way. Well, I saw another statistic in the information you sent me that is it nearly 40% of adults will be impacted by a cancer diagnosis does that mean people will actually have one on themselves or is it them and their families no it's uh individuals, individuals. actually hearing the word extremely words, high percentage cancer. yeah it, it's startling it is um, startling nearly 40 percent yes and uh, mm. uh many people um don't realize it's that high but in addition to that um, it's one of those diseases that if you haven't personally been affected, mm-hmm. someone you love, someone you know oh, and sure. care about typically has. Yeah. So um, with cancer, you know, the more educated everyone could be um, just about the journey patients go through, mm-hmm. um, how to be um, proactive in trying to reduce your chances yeah. of cancer. Um, but also if you do uh, have a cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. how to, to um, prepare yourself and your family, because it really is a all-encompassing um, care process mm-hmm. that um, allows you to be set up for the most optimal outcome and success. Right, right. Well, I imagine the first thing probably people do is they start Googling. Yes, and, absolutely. you know, running mm-hmm. into, you know, all that. And there's just so much you could drive yourself crazy doing that, I would imagine. Yes. Now, um, Back to your initial mission when you got there, um, the infrastructure was probably something you changed. That evolved to more of a mix of on-premises, private cloud, and public cloud? Absolutely. Was that new to the organization? Um, I think that there was small pockets of it Mm -hmm. uh, prior to me joining the organization, but it's definitely um, taken on a much more um, strategic focus roadmap. So we really put together... Um, uh, a three and five year roadmap as to how to drive down our total cost of ownership, how to mature our capabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the areas in particular um, that everyone in healthcare with the shift from um, volume to value is focused on is enhancing analytics and data capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so as part of our infrastructure design, we wanted to make sure that we were leveraging um, uh, architectures that allowed us to be Uh, much more dynamic and robust around um, uh, our reaction to the changing business needs. Mm -hmm. Um, But in addition to that, the ability to very mindfully extract information in a way that was truly going to advance our capabilities to drive useful insights at the time that they're needed in the patient care journey. Now, you just used a phrase, volume to value. Mm-hmm. That sounds like uh, that sounds like insider baseball. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Um, so traditionally in healthcare, uh, we operated on a fee for service okay. um, payment process, which is uh, if you went to your physician office for a primary care visit, mm-hmm. uh, they would bill for that consultation yes. and be reimbursed. So every uh, type of service was reimbursed mm-hmm. for a fee regardless of quality outcome. 
Right. Um, our our healthcare system uh, across um, uh, you know all disease types and and mm-hmm. types of care is still very much um, fee for service. Yeah, transaction it, based, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but healthcare providers certainly understand um, and, and payers that the desire is to move um, to a more comprehensive. Uh, care management process where care is better coordinated mm-hmm. across all providers. Yep. Um, as lifespans continue to um, uh, be longer, mm-hmm. individuals tend to live with more comorbidities, which yes. requires more coordination of care. So as those things are happening, one of the things we want to encourage is the healthcare system that all providers are very strong stewards of um, the system and, and doing things in the most effective way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only from a clinical quality perspective, but also from an economic perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, the U.S. is is the most expensive uh, country to receive health care. And right now it's uh, $2.4 trillion a year spent, uh, mm-hmm. approximately 11500 per person. And so to get wow. that under control, but also under control because the United States does not have the best quality outcomes, although the cost is the highest. Hmm. Um, one of the focuses is to move to more of that value-based outcome. Okay. So it was very important for us as an organization. Um, we have a heavy predominant focus on the quality uh, of care for our patient, mm-hmm. their outcomes. We publish our, our patient results uh, right on our website oh, okay. and try to be very transparent with that. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, though, we always balance the clinical treatment with uh, the patient's own decisions and what's important to them around quality of life. Okay. Um, and so all of those factors are brought into account in a way that better results and what we feel is value to the patient Mm -hmm. because it's what's important to them based on their personalized needs. Right. Well, and the thought of like all the patient care getting more coordinated and more of the providers being very well informed about all the patient data, that implies a lot about the electronic health record. It does. And that's, and of course the EHR is essentially, it's your, um, it, 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 it's your biggest enterprise system. Yes. And you, and usually one of the things that happens, CIOs come into a healthcare and there's talk going on, let's replace this old legacy system, but you're actually upgrading what has been a legacy system because it's worked well for uh, CTCA, but needed a lot of new updates. Uh, talk a little bit about that work because that's I think that's central to what you've been doing. Yes, absolutely. So um, the electronic health record certainly is a core system in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it's historically been used as the primary source for the medical record. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, um, also um, for any type of uh, billing record, uh, the medical record is then used to generate charges and reimbursement. So critical component uh, at a foundational level for the delivery of care, Mm -hmm. but widely throughout the industry, and this is across all vendors, uh, the level of satisfaction of clinicians um, is very, very low. And many statistics out there, but, you know, the most that I've seen recently is 30 to 40 percent level of satisfaction. So, And that sounds high. Yeah. I, I think about being in my own doctor's office and the first thing they do is start complaining about the system as they're yes. talking to you and inputting data and there's a lot of moaning and groaning and hands and I think, oh, it's another EHR. Right, yeah. right. So they're they're like ERP systems. Everybody hates them. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's challenging to get a lot of value out of them, mm-hmm. but still accomplish 
um, all of the regulatory compliance needs because a lot of the data capture that both our physicians and clinicians, uh, you know, any of the providers involved in nursing um, gather often is required. Mm -hmm. And so for IT, as much as you would like to make a very easy workflow, Mm -hmm. sometimes um, with the amount of information that must be captured, it does create a challenge. Yeah. So during the time I was um, uh, on-site shadowing, the EHR mm-hmm. certainly was a, a primary pain point and, and, quite frankly, continues to be right now mm-hmm. um, because we have not replaced it yet. Um, but as I, as I shadowed the physicians, most of what I found they were having frustrations about was a few things. It was um, over-customization. Um, mm. It was lack of standardization in mm. how we operated physician to physician or site to site. Wow. Everybody wanted to do things differently. Mm-hmm. So what it did for a lot of the functionality within the system is it allowed us to only to automate to the lowest common denominator of agreement mm. um, so that all the other customizations could be accommodated. Yeah. And because of that, you didn't get the real power out of the system. Mm-hmm. So as I continued to assess that, what became very clear to me is it wasn't necessarily a product issue as much as it was um, configuration. And, mm. and quite frankly, a lot of it was self-inflicted. Um, some of it was certainly, you know, new functionality that would be desired. Mm-hmm. But because of the over-customization, as the product had matured over the years, we also weren't able to take advantage of many of those upgrades uh-huh. because it would have broken our customization. Sure. Um, so what we did is we tried the process of incremental improvements, mm-hmm. um, which uh, any of us that work within, you know, e- even if you're not in healthcare, uh, an ERP system, yeah. Uh, in other industries, there's always upstream and downstream effects mm-hmm. of any changes. Yeah. And so we found it a very inefficient way to make those changes. So we've instead um, approached what's a replatform. Yeah. And although we've stayed with the same vendor, which is Allscripts, who we've been very happy with and, and um, their interoperability uh, is mm-hmm. um, a very important uh, component that they're very strong in. Um, but we're replacing uh, of our entire portfolio under the EHR and RevCycle system, we have 17 modules. We're replacing 14 of those. So you could think of it as a brand new EHR install, although there will be um, a common feel for Mm -hmm. um, our physicians. And I think our uplift is not as great as if we switched vendors. Um, But it absolutely is a brand new modern product. it has a oncology module that did not exist when we initially implemented the system. Oh. Um, completely uh, structured around um, evidence-based roadmaps uh, for, for oncology. You. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be, um, uh, I don't know that we're going to get physicians to love their EHR, um, mm-hmm. but my goal is that they like it. Right. And it's a tool to help them in the care that they provide to patients. It Mm -hmm. provides meaningful information at the right point in care. And then what we do is part of our design process is trying to take other types of technology around physician efficiency and wrap those around the standard EHR Mm -hmm. to ensure that the physician is given the tools to interact with their patients, have a conversation like we're doing versus being churned and and, And uh, looking at a screen, right? And Mm -hmm. looking back at your patient, you want to have that close relationship. And at CTCA in particular, we absolutely value that uh, that one-on-one deep mm-hmm. relationship and connection. Yeah. We want to make sure our providers have that ability 
to um, truly understand the patient. And mm -hmm. you can't do that if you're documenting throughout the entire visit. Oh, yeah. So we're very much looking at ways to modernize that. And, and near the end of this year, we start the activation of that system. Mm -hmm. um, we're going into the build phase now. So there's a lot of um, excitement and engagement across the organization to really transform and mature mm -hmm. that foundational capability. Yeah. Um, that we can then wrap around many of the other new modern technologies that allow us to um, focus on the new types of cancer care, such yeah. as precision medicine, that um, uh, your your legacy um, design of EHRs typically does not accommodate. Mm -hmm. Well, and when you try to think of a, a population of users that would be any more tech resistant and kind of bulky at the whole process, uh, doctors definitely do come to mind, <laughs> you know, that, that they're not going to go easily into it. But then again, they've all got smartphones. They're all using technology in their hands now. It must make it a little bit easier than it was, say, five or 10 years ago to do this because everyone, is, uh, the user base in general, has advanced so much yes. in terms of what they do with technology. And, you know, I was thinking you know, those three weeks that you spent on the road where you were shadowing all these different um, constituents. In, in your world there, you came back with a conviction that one of the things the IT people needed to do was get out of their cubicles. Yes. Tell me how you accomplished that and what you th how you think that has improved the process of all this change. So um, I've actually done this at previous companies also, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a strong believer of this, which is um, to be effective in um, any type of technology role, you have to deeply understand your business and your customer. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you're not actually in their environment. And mm -hmm. understanding, um, so for example, in, in healthcare, of course, our, our patient is not only, our, our customer, excuse me, is not only our patient, but it's also their family, who's often very active in the decision-making process. Yes. Um, so as if we're not in the hospital and understanding what's it like for somebody the first time they walk through the doors of a hospital, a cancer hospital, mm -hmm. how intimidating is that? What are the types of questions and concerns the family has? How do they support uh, the patient going mm -hmm. through that journey? So if you don't understand that, it's really hard to design technologies to yep. facilitate that intake process, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, you know, same thing through all the different journeys um, that a patient goes through depending on their treatment process. So it was important for me that everyone within the technology department, regardless of function, have a connection to what we actually do. Okay. And we're so incredibly blessed that, um, you know, we often tell everybody your job is you fight cancer, right? Yeah. It's not. It's an extraordinary being a mission engineer. to have. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's not like working for a retailer. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And and so they mm -hmm. should have the opportunity and benefit of having that emotional connection mm -hmm. to what they're actually the impact that they're providing, which is far beyond um, you know just providing a stable network. Yeah. What is that used for? Yeah. Um, and so we've made it mandatory initially that two hours per month. You have to round. Mm -hmm. um, clinical rounding, very intimidating some, for some individuals that have never been in a clinical setting. So we set up um, our chief nursing officers and mm -hmm. our informatics departments uh, stepped up mm -hmm. to say, we're here as partners. When you show up, Great. let us know when you're coming. We'll round with you yeah. because they round all day. And we'll let you know when it's appropriate to go talk to a nurse when mm -hmm. they're not busy or engaged with a patient, oh, good. for example. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, how do you mm -hmm. approach them um, uh, at a, uh, you know, when they're 
not actively engaged in care? Or right. how do you um, help them assess a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was just as part of proactive customer service, mm-hmm. uh, which often is not um, uh, something individuals think of IT as, we wanted to make sure when an issue is communicated that we don't say, sorry, that's not in my area. Yeah. It's, oh, I'll talk to the network ownership. engineers about that. I right. love that idea. Yeah, you're like. So, it, yeah. you know, it's part of you have a challenge. Mm-hmm. Your primary goal is taking care of the patient. We're going to take that challenge away from you. And even if it's, I mean, I've had facility issues reported to me, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, a lock doesn't work. Yeah. We'll take care of it. And, you know, we'll make sure the right people have it. And then you need to follow up and make sure it's actually resolved um, because you're That's the great. one that actually accepted um, taking that responsibility for that mm-hmm. need. So um, as our um, employees that, that we refer to as stakeholders mm-hmm. started getting comfortable with going out in the environment, mm-hmm. we had to, we were able to stop monitoring because they were able to see the value. Yeah. And they were able to, um, the level of engagement of the team naturally increased because um, you can see the impact that you're making. Yeah. Yeah. That would be profound, I would think. It's it would incredibly rewarding. It makes such a difference. And you also took a very proactive approach to a pro, uh, to shadow IT. Or yes. I always say, I, when I was at Computer World as an editor years ago, we used to love calling it rogue IT because it sounded like pirates or something out in the other. <laughs> but, but that shadow, that rogue, you had a lot of it throughout CTCA, and you had it in five different locations. Um, how did you, what did you do about it, and, and what mm-hmm. is the situation today? Yes. So I will mm-hmm. say it was something that I detected during uh, the interview process. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was one of, uh, uh, you know, in areas of discussion prior to me joining the organization yeah. is that um, the consolidation of the information technology function was essential. Yes. Uh, and that's really to create a comprehensive strategy and execution. So one of the things we talked about in the beginning of this is mm-hmm. is the level of demand that every information technology function has is extensive. And there's always more demand than what you can actually provide. Yeah. If I don't have that group working in the most efficient and effective manner and coordinating so that there's no overlap, no repetitive um, uh, you know, efforts occurring mm-hmm. that aren't um, the best effort based on the needs of the organization, right. then we're never going to be successful. And the level of delivery will be much less. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we did was um, everyone, uh, I, I had to go to all the different business users uh, and leads and, and different functions that mm-hmm. were now at my peers and negotiate, yeah. getting their confidence and having them trust me to release their shadow IS department. Because oftentimes shadow IS departments they're built up because somebody felt like information services was not fulfilling their needs. They're responding to a need, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And sometimes that need is um, uh, very appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it happens naturally and people don't, it's not um, out of design. It just happens and they don't even realize they're doing it, right? Then they end up that they have this technology function, it starts to grow and then they don't know how to support it because it's not part of their domain expertise. Well, and for the staff that are providing it too, it limits their career paths. Absolutely. Because they're like, it's great being the go-to person for a while, but they don't get any place to be promoted to. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. No, it was important, but mm-hmm. um, I will say, you know, the individuals that were in the Shadow IS departments, mm-hmm. we also had to ask them for their confidence. Yeah. So, because a lot of them did not want to report uh, information mm-hmm. services. They didn't want to be acquired. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. They, they mm-hmm. uh, you know, the department may not have had a good reputation mm-hmm. uh, in certain parts of the organization. And because of that, they didn't want to be associated with it. Yeah. So, we had to... Um, ask for their confidence mm-hmm. and um, tell them to, you know, please give us a chance. We want to yeah. be a strong team, a cohesive team, but also an effective team mm-hmm. uh, that truly is not only an operational partner, but a strategic partner right. that helps advance the organization in ways that truly benefit, you know, our overall mission mm-hmm. for the care uh, that we're providing to our patients. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you, I like the way that you spend a lot of You've been very transparent with the staff all along through these changes. You mentioned there was one day when on the org chart, 84 positions changed. Mm -hmm. So and you did that through a lot of discussion at town halls. Yes. So how did you how did they get involved? This wasn't just you telling them, here's how the world is going to be. You actually did a lot of surveying and feedback. And yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, many people uh, will say when you're moving into a new leadership position, you know, your first 90 days, you need to assess the organization, have your full strategy plan implemented, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, this organization, uh, which is very complex, and, and I had been responsible for cancer centers previously, but I've always mm-hmm. had other service lines in a hospital. Yeah. So the depth of um, specialty knowledge and mm. also the advanced capabilities of Cancer Treatment Centers of America and the treatment approaches that they take mm-hmm. um, are fairly extensive for mm-hmm. me to really learn to where I can develop an effective strategy. Right. So it took longer than 90 days. <laughs> um, in addition to that, as part of the, the feedback that we received from the users, one of the things I, I shared those with the team, and initially, um, you know, the human reaction is always um, the reasons why. It's not perfect, yeah. right? These mm-hmm. are the barriers. These are the challenges. It's, let me explain. Here's, yeah. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. so what I said is perception's reality, okay? Yeah. So mm-hmm. because our customers don't necessarily understand all those challenges, or if it's from a patient perspective, a challenging workflow or a non-efficient process, mm-hmm. they don't need to understand all our challenges. They just know it's not optimal for them. Right. So if we eliminate all the excuses, you know, or, or um, uh, challenges that we have and just say, are we focusing on the right things? Mm-hmm. Let's just say these are the things our customers need, that, that list of focus areas. And are we able to actually perform on that? Or do we have so much legacy luggage uh, because mm. of how we've always worked that we're not able to actually propel ourselves there. Yeah. And so um, a lot of the surveys were um, some individuals were scared to speak up, you know, about their mm-hmm. views, et cetera. So we did a lot of anonymous surveys so that everybody had the opportunity to provide input. It's a great idea. <clears throat> some mm-hmm. of the questions were, um, what are the skill sets we're missing? Right. Yes. Do we have what are certain the holes we need to fill in that need? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there certain pockets of the department, and, and we know this just from timesheets because uh, we would keep track from a project uh, management office perspective mm-hmm. what people are spending time on. Yeah. Are there certain people that have a very poor quality of life because they're very effective? 
So everybody uses them. Yeah, we have 30 of those people. We need 60, yeah. that kind of thing. And yeah. then other people aren't utilized heavily because maybe they're not as effective. Right. Who are those individuals? Do we mm -hmm. have them in the right role? Mm -hmm. Do we need to provide them additional training or rescope their role? Whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, but they're not being utilized, but they're still, you know, we have other people overutilized. So mm -hmm. we went through that process of how do we start to shift this around? Yeah. And yeah. Um, what I wanted was the entire team involved in that. So in the end, when there were changes, even if they didn't agree with everything, mm -hmm. they all understood why they were made. They got the context. They had mm -hmm. some level of input and as a team cohesively all committed to what we were going to do and deliver and how we were going to transform, they had to have a sense of ownership. Yes. And so I think although the process was a little elongated and took about six months after I joined, mm -hmm. uh, before we implemented changes, that's when all the shadow IS came in. Mm -hmm. um, that's when uh, we focused on standardizing all of our efforts across all five sites. Mm -hmm. So one information technology function, one system, five hospitals, all with a common goal around patient care. We needed to create the bandwidth and focus to focus on many of the emerging treatment options around precision medicine and advancing our clinical research mm -hmm. capabilities, all focused on providing more options to our patients. Yeah. And so through that process, it gave us the focus and structure to be able to be more effective and enable us to enhance um, what we were delivering, but also the impact that that would have on the organization. Mm -hmm. Well, and it makes sense, too, with that much change in an organization that is uh, so high level and so connected to patients in a different way, it makes a lot of sense that you couldn't do that in 90 days. That yes. it would take, But even yep. six months sounds like a lot accomplished in the first half year. Um, let me, uh, let's zoom up to kind of the 30,000-foot view and talk a little bit about how technology has been changing We've talked, we've mentioned the patient journey a few times and connected care and all that. That makes me think of people on their smartphones Googling what their doctor just told them. But I'll bet you mean something entirely different. So explain what the connected care journey is, uh, kind of from the health industry viewpoint, and then how you how that plays out at CTCA. Yep. Well, I, I think, you know, what you started with actually I think is very connected. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's the mobile experience that mm -hmm. all of us as consumers – um, have. Yeah. So what's, what that's created, so if you think back a few years, we all had you know 10 or 20 devices that are now on a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And when you think back, you know, I know when I was growing up, if I had a question about something, you went home and you checked an encyclopedia later, mm -hmm. right? Or you went to the um, library. Or you went to yeah. the library, mm -hmm. yes. So it was delayed information. Now we've all retrained ourselves mm -hmm. that the second we have a question, we don't wonder about it all day. We immediately Google it. Mm -hmm. And um, so the immediacy of information has actually changed all of us as consumers mm -hmm. to be much more empowered. So if you think from a healthcare perspective now, if I think about my parents when I take them uh, to, to the physician office for mm -hmm. a physical or, you know, something they're having to make a care decision or even my grandparents when I um, uh, took care of them, mm -hmm. they would very much rely much more than than I would or our generation mm -hmm. uh, and younger generations around um, what the physician was providing them for information. Right. They're not necessarily on their phone immediately after they walk out of the office double checking what the physician provided, <laughs> right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's a huge shift just in consumerism that truly has 
crossed over to healthcare. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, um, from a technology perspective, we have to keep in mind is that our patients likely are going to do that. So sure. how do we structure things in a way that they're actually getting rich information sources from CTCA so that we know they're actually personalized and curated appropriately based on their patient condition. They're getting good, reliable, evidence-based information. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we're getting that information to the physician. So one of the things Mm. we focus on is um, uh, when a patient um, comes to treat with us, their information, their data is theirs. It, mm-hmm. It's their body. It's their journey. Mm-hmm. It's their care decisions. Um, the patient, it's very much patient-centered care around what's best for them from a personalized perspective. Mm-hmm. So we have a proprietary patient portal that we've been enhancing significantly over the last few years. And um, Meaningful Use has had criteria, which is a, a regulatory requirement in healthcare, has had criteria for um, healthcare providers to have 5% or more utilization. Yes. We're over 80%, yeah, which is unheard of. And part of it is Mm. that transparency of information. Our patients know that they get the same information as the medical staff. And cancer's, you know, very much um, a a intensive experience. There's a lot of detail. Yeah. So our patients Mm -hmm. often become, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, they train themselves almost to understand all the clinical components related Mm -hmm. to their care. So if a test comes back, they get the test the same time as the, the medical staff. And if they don't want to see it, we can deactivate Mm -hmm. that. Um, But Mm. it is their information. So if they choose they want to see it, that's part of our intake and training process. We want to make sure they're empowered to have that so that they're an active um, member of, of, you know, their own care team. Mm -hmm. And we certainly have clinicians that can can. Uh, talk about those results with them if they're not physically in front of a, a physician at an appointment yeah. when they receive those. I was those. thinking you don't necessarily want um, them Googling the results and finding out what someone says on a blog about them. Yeah. yeah. So, so mm-hmm. you know, we make sure that there's rich resources within there. But I think that whole digital experience and creating a connected experience is, mm-hmm. you know, you should be able to be at home and know the second your lab result uh, hits. Mm-hmm. And I know as a patient, um, I I had a desire for that previously. I never understood the value of it until now when I go to other locations to be treated. And, you know, for example, my son has um, uh, had reactive airway disease or baby asthma. Mm. I've been in the hospital before where tests have come back and I've had to wait seven and eight hours for a physician to to come tell me what the result is. You're like, where's my portal? To change the care process (laughs) versus Mm -hmm. the nurse can already see it and they know the results and oftentimes, you know, we might not be on the right treatment process, mm-hmm. but they can't change it until the physician comes um, and delivers that result. Hmm. At least in this particular scenario, we still need a physician to, to certainly change orders, but yeah. uh, a patient's not wondering mm-hmm. if what that result is and, um, you know, it, or their caregiver. Um, because, uh, you know, any, any type of healthcare condition is, is very personal and very... Uh, uh, concerning and affects people emotionally, and you want to make sure that they're empowered with the level of information that's appropriate for them, yeah, um, based on their preferences. Well, and I would imagine that the expectations of the data being more immediately available and explained via mobile device or on a website that's probably shot up hugely with patients anyway. A- absolutely, yeah. yeah I the mean, we just we recently just launched. Um, uh, the transparent ratings, you know, of all of our physicians on mm-hmm. our website. 
um, you know, a few years ago, that was uncommon for physicians, right? Yeah. It was more, uh, you know, restaurants or hotels. But from mm-hmm. a consumer perspective, patients have started to have the same expectations yes. um, across all facets of their life, mm-hmm. which also includes healthcare, which is a big component. And yeah. um, uh, so as an industry, it's very important that um, uh, from a technology perspective that we're evolving to enable our, our care settings um, to embrace that consumer component mm-hmm. so that uh, individuals feel empowered, but they're also getting information in the way that they've become accustomed to receiving it. Right, right. How has all this change had an impact on what you're doing with data analytics? Most of the CIOs I talk to have either they're hiring in data scientists or they've started an entirely, you know, a big data projects or their analytics department is the fastest growing piece of their whole IT operation. How does that work at CTCA for you? Yep. So I will say it's um, uh, absolutely an area of investment. Mm-hmm. And um, from uh, when I initially arrived uh, to where we are now, uh, we structured a four year journey. Uh, we're in the third year of that. So our mm-hmm. capabilities have advanced significantly. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, one of the things we, we recognize is at this point um, in healthcare, predominantly in, in cancer care, there, there's a convergence right now of technology, uh, medical treatments, and the science uh, mm-hmm. related to how to most effectively treat cancer. And so the level and detail of information uh, that is coming through is significantly more than it was three years ago, five yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we're having to change our structures, our systems, et cetera, to be able to accommodate all that information and bring it in in a way that insights can start to become generated at okay. a time appropriate. So that might be proactive hmm. trends, or um, it could be based on... Um, uh, information that accumulates over time for a patient specific or for a population. Yeah. Um, but those insights then drive actions that are appropriate at the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. And so um, are, we are not at the, the end point that um, I think many of us within CTCA desire, but we continue to um, advance that capability. And, you know, quite honestly, um, uh, you know, I think we'll have a base foundation that we'll be satisfied with um, next year when we finish that initial roadmap. But it will be a constant, continuous effort. Yes. And um, because things change in a very um, uh, rapid way, um, especially around precision medicine. And um, uh, we deal with a lot of data uh, related to genomic sequencing. Mm -hmm. And that is a fast paced, evolving area of science. Um, and the correlation into medical treatments that mm-hmm. then uh, we use technology to process and assimilate yep. that information to, to service up into actionable insights. Um, well, so I noticed that when I was reading some of the, because you've uh, authored some articles on this and you've been interviewed on these topics, and I hadn't realized there was, uh, when you think about personalized medicine and precision medicine, I think like a lot of people, I was conflating the two and thinking they were more or less the same. They're very different. Um, Explain what the differences are. Yes. Um, So I will say that um, I see them used interchangeably frequently. So um, this is my definition. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I think of personalized medicine, uh, it's information around um, uh, a patient's 
um, desires for their life. Yeah. So what's important for them? So it's it might the be me, lifestyle, me, me factor, right? essentially. Yeah. Um, they mm-hmm. might have certain hobbies. Maybe they're a runner or mm-hmm. uh, they're a piano player. Um, whatever those types of things are that are are their true passions. Mm-hmm. And if they embark on a, um, uh, a disease treatment or some type of illness within their life, mm-hmm. that part of the treatments have side effects. And those side mm-hmm. effects might affect their quality of life based on the particular passions that they have. Right. So if a particular treatment um, is going to leave you with um, neuropathy in your hands, mm-hmm. and you're a piano player and you can't play, and your desire... Mm-hmm you know, to continue living in your, your happiness, mm-hmm. you feel will be dramatically impacted, mm. that perhaps isn't the best option for you as a patient. Many times, healthcare providers don't take that into consideration where CTCA oh. sees that front and center because okay. that the patient, we want them um, not only to be hopeful that they can, they can um, be empowered with the right treatment options mm-hmm. to be successful through their clinical journey, yeah. but that they have a life that um, has a high quality of life yeah. uh, when they emerge successful from their treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in that also includes oftentimes the caregiver, the family, but you know their personal relationships. Mm-hmm. So as part of that, that's really taking into, it might be clinical history, it might be um, genetic history of your family. Mm-hmm. It might be economic condition or or environmental condition. So maybe the individual has a job that, based on um, the treatment process or perhaps side effects, mm-hmm. that that wouldn't be conducive to them continuing to work. Right. Those are the types of personal um, uh, factors that should be taken into consideration around treatment options mm-hmm. um, that are personalized. Yeah. The precision medicine is um, uh, the advancements in DNA sequencing that um, have started to become uh, much more available for um, the population. So that's more pharmacological, the precision medicine Correct. part. Okay. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, through DNA su- sequencing, uh, especially in, on- in uh, oncology, mm-hmm. there has been um, identifications of, of particular mutations that are aligned to certain types of, um, uh, it's, it's known as a biomarker, mm-hmm. um, that can be responsive to certain types of treatments. Right. And so for particular types of disease that have you know, evidence around DNA sequencing being beneficial, mm-hmm. a patient could go through that type of treatment and then be matched at a molecular level or, or mm-hmm. DNA specific for that individual. Um, so that it really is the best treatment option that they're going to respond to based on their body's DNA. Mm -hmm. So when you take the personalized approach, the precision medicine is a component of that. Right. And you can take in all those different options. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, a precision medicine um, uh, indication uh, around a particular biomarker might have multiple options Mm -hmm. that have different levels of clinical effectiveness. Mm -hmm. When those are combined with the personal um, uh, preferences of an individual or their capabilities to be successful with a particular treatment plan, it empowers the physician to then talk um, with the patient about the pros and cons of each of those options and what might be best for them on their particular journey. Yeah, it certainly sounds truly holistic where yeah, you're taking absolutely. the entire person into account 
both their molecular structure as well as you know their hobbies and that sort of thing. So um, it, it's certainly an encouraging future that it, it kind of lays out there. Yes. One of the things I talk with a lot about CIOs is how and where their industries are being disrupted. And it's both, it's not just a tech disruption, it's also all of our consumer behaviors and the expectations we have going into it. Now, when you and I talked about it a little bit, you mentioned uh, consumerism and both uh, and machine learning as two examples of where disruption is arriving in the healthcare industry. Talk about those a little bit more. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So... Um, you know, I think one of, um, we, we talked about consumerism earlier, just mm -hmm. about patients being empowered. I think one of the areas um, that is a, a great disruption that's occurring because it, it contributes to um, the overall insight for physicians around um, patient care mm -hmm. is um, the explosion of um, consumer devices around uh, whether it's a Fitbit, an Apple Watch, mm -hmm. um, you know, any type of device that starts to get individuals to know their body better. Um, so are they sleeping well? Um, what's their their um, typical heart rate when they're mm -hmm. exercising? How long does it take to recover? What's their overall physical condition? You know, we all learn a lot about ourselves through mm -hmm. those devices. And um, as part of that, the more insight you have about your normal body operation, if something happens or you mm -hmm. become ill or um, you're managing a disease, the variations in your behavior are easier easier to detect. You've actually got your um, own data yes. that you can bring into the conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So instead of if you think about, you know, seeing a physician once a month or every three months, instead you go in and say, you know, over the last eight weeks, I've had um, a consistent issue on day four after this particular event mm -hmm. um, consistently. That's a pretty powerful piece of information to be able to communicate to a physician. Yes. If you didn't have that type of device, you probably wouldn't have noticed it because it was something right. that happened today, then it didn't happen the next day. And right? then you forget about it. Yeah, so exactly. individuals mm -hmm. are much more empowered with information where they can more effectively communicate as, as a component of the care team to mm -hmm. their providers. And so um, one of the things we spend a lot of time with is focusing on patient-reported outcomes, mm. which electronic health records um, historically have not been able to accommodate. So at Cancer Treatment Centers of America for the last few years, we've had a symptom inventory tool where we solicit oh. feedback mm -hmm. from patients, not only um, about any type of symptoms they're having, but also measuring their quality of life. Mm -hmm. And physicians, um, when they're interacting with a patient, um, it's very hard to break their workflow to send them to a different tool. So with the EHR sure. not containing that data, one of the things we were challenged with in the information technology department is how do we take this very robust, powerful information but deliver it to physicians in a way that's very effective for them to consume. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the um, strong points I mentioned previously about Allscripts was their, their um, open architecture and level of interoperability. Okay. Um, an example of that is we took our symptom inventory tool, we partnered with our medicine and science division to understand exactly what was important for the physicians to receive that patient-reported information, mm -hmm. and we configured it so that um, it actually appears in the EHR. So from a physician perspective, you would think it's part of the EHR. Um, wow. And we were able to tap into all the normal threshold triggers or alerts, mm -hmm. um, the ordering system, et cetera. So if a patient, for example, is reporting pain consistently, yeah. 
the physician sees that and wants to actually um, react to that, document and perhaps order pain medication or change a rehab schedule, whatever it might be, mm. they can actually interact directly with that information as part mm. of the documentation into the ordering system of or the or the prescription writer of the electronic health record. You can see how that would be very powerful. It's fantastic because it's you don't want to, you know, we talked about we don't want the physicians documenting all day, right? We no, want them interacting with the patient. So we've now taken all that information, moved it directly into the physician workflow and mm -hmm. made it part of the medical record when the physician pulled it in, accepted it and determined they were going to act upon yeah. that. And um, that's empowered the patient in a way that They've created a more holistic view for yeah. the physician, but um, they've also taken an active role in their care and yeah. making sure that um, the information they're providing is being used effectively also mm -hmm. to benefit the overall outcome. Well, and it's what a few years ago would have been more like the future dream of truly integrated medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, it's kind of here and now. Right. Um, I can't remember who it is, said that, you know, the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. Yes. And uh, that, you know, that certainly does seem to be going on. Now, um, back, we've been talking at the higher level throughout the industry, but back at kind of the CTCA uh, level, you noted how much operational rethinking uh, was happening both at the business and the clinical levels as you were doing all these different tech changes to optimize patient care and lead to the better experience. Well, give us an example of where a process was rethought. So um, one of the areas in particular um, just around our, um, uh, the intake process mm -hmm. for patients. So um, any healthcare system prior to uh, a patient coming in for um, cancer treatment typically mm -hmm. goes through pre-assessments, um, making sure they understand um, uh, the patient's clinical history um, and any other active treatments they're on, et cetera, mm -hmm. gathering all that information effectively. Oftentimes what you find in many healthcare experiences, at least I do, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> as I'm a, a patient at many uh, different visits, either for myself or family members, is you go to one department and you provide information. Then maybe you go to the next and appointment. And it lives there. It doesn't go to the next and, department. And yeah. you provide the same information, mm -hmm. right? So what we've done is, is redesigned in a enterprise um, uh, platform that intake process so that the same pieces of information go to all the departments as part of that workflow. Interesting. Is this CompassionNet? CompassionNet is what right. we call it. The tool. Yes. And, um, it's a good uh, name. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's a good name. So it, it mm -hmm. sits on the Salesforce platform, which is um, uh, has been uh, a huge area of um, uh, technical maturity for us because mm -hmm. It's very easy to modify. And Great. so as needs change or, you know, we, somebody that works within that workflow process says, you know, there's um, a new treatment option that mm -hmm. just came out and we're not collecting a required field. Or there's, we've gotten feedback from patients and they don't like when we ask this, they think we should ask it here. Whatever yeah. those types of workflow changes might be, mm -hmm. we're able to respond very, very rapidly where historically in our previous systems before redesigning this um, could take, you know, a three to six month um, uh, code development process sure. that had to go through testing, et yeah. cetera. 
now we're able to much more dynamically respond, which has positioned us to be a much better business partner. Well, um, it's, and it's interesting you say, too, because the uh, you wouldn't have thought of a business CRM-type platform as something that you would find effective in a hospital environment or in a healthcare organization. Yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, w- when we think about patient experience versus hospital operation, mm-hmm. It drives us oftentimes to different solutions yeah. that wouldn't necessarily traditionally be there. And so okay. what we try to do is be very reactive to what's right for the patient, what creates the right experience for them. And then IT should take on the burden in the back end mm-hmm. of making that information flow to where it needs to be Yeah, um, to Great. continue the traditional care journey that we're required to, uh, to document. Yeah. Well, and that uh, the final question I have for you is uh, throughout we've made mention of this, and I know you and I talked about it, uh, the importance of leveraging the digital technologies that will work with the culture of the organization. And that is, I think, something that all CIOs encounter. It, it seems especially acute to, to deal with it in a healthcare situation. But what kind of hurdles did you have to overcome in terms of, because you've got it, in, you've got it into a great flow right now, mm-hmm. but it probably was not a no-brainer right from the beginning. So in figuring out the culture and in kind of getting over those hurdles to make sure that what you were doing was right for CTCA, what are some of the, what would you advise other CIOs to think about when they're trying to get a good cultural fit for some new use of technologies. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the first part is you have to understand the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, and what is your customer, or in my case, patient experience mm-hmm. when they interact with your organization? So what you do not want to create is a separate digital experience from what somebody physically Uh, experiences when they interact with your organization. Good point. So Mm -hmm. we look very much for consistency end to end. Mm -hmm. And um, as much as I feel um, I have huge benefits here in the whole digital transformation area and the Mm -hmm. fact that um, much of healthcare feels to me as a patient when I, I visit locations to very much feel to be organized around the physician. You Mm -hmm. go to the waiting office, you wait, Mm -hmm. Uh, you see the physician, they'll send you to where um, they recommend next. You go wait there, et cetera. A- at CTCA, there's much more of a um, patient-centric structure to yeah. not only how the organization operates, but how they interact with the patient. But in addition to that, it's the soft side of the culture mm-hmm. that truly creates that trustful, compassionate um, healing environment that mm. makes individuals want to become proactive in their their care journey. Yeah. So that is so authentic and just um, it's uh, it's hard to describe when you walk through the doors there. It's something I had never felt at any other healthcare organization I'd been to. Mm-hmm. But when you feel that, it's very authentic. And then the challenge is how do I create that digitally? Yeah. That warm environment, that consistency. Mm-hmm. And so that's very much when when we're designing things, it's not so much what the graphics look like or what the functionality is. Those types of things I'm very confident we can deliver. Mm-hmm. It's how do we create that consistent journey, that nurturing journey. And as healthcare continues to move closer to home, make sure that that same supportive process continues to get integrated in there Mm -hmm. so that there's never a gap or lack of reconciliation between the different experiences based on setting that your patient or or consumer might experience. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Good answer. And it sounds like the uh, that it's quite a mission being the CIO of CTCA. 
It's a fantastic yeah. experience. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will let you go back. I know you have a board meeting to get to in Boston. So it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and thank our audience for tuning in with us. I will be back with another CIO Leadership Live interview on February 1st when I'll be talking with Joel Jacobs, who is the CIO at MITRE Corporation. And I hope you'll join us then. And if you're interested in listening to the audio podcast for this within a day or two, we'll have that posted on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play. And the full interview that I've done with Kristen here today will be on CIO.com shortly as well. Thanks so much for joining us.